Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Tuesday. Welcome into Soccer Morning. Here we go. WorldSoccerTalk.com underway. Talking about soccer for the next hour and change. Hope your week has started well. Hope you're ready for some soccer today. There's plenty of soccer happening today. This is one of those midweek days where you don't have to wait to the weekend. We've got Champions League. That's happening. You ready for that? Both the European kind and the CONCACAF version. We'll get into the schedule for that here in a second. Later on the show, Christian Henedge will join us. We'll talk over, talk about the Premier League, maybe touch on some of that Champions League, maybe touch on some of the MLS stretch run stuff out there. Uh, some injuries hitting, some uh, schedule congestion hitting, teams dealing with bad form. It's all, it's all a factor in the MLS playoff race. But let's uh, before we get to Christian, let's go ahead and start with the news. The Champions League, as I mentioned, in Europe underway today. PSG Malmo, Real Madrid Shakhtar Donetsk, PSV Manchester United, big match there. No Wayne Rooney out ruled out through injury. Wolfsburg and CSK Moscow, Benfica versus FC Astana. Everyone's everyone's Cinderella FC Astana. Galatasaray and Atletico Madrid, Manchester City Juventus and Sevilla against Monchen Gladbach, who's had a terrible start to the Bundesliga season and now has to go into Europe and try to salvage some of their form as they play uh, the uh, Europa League champions. Chivas de Guadalajara has fired Chepo de la Torre. This is after he took the job a second time in October of 2014. He was fired, awkwardly, by his brother Nestor de la Torre. And uh, this is all because Chivas de Guadalajara is dealing with a relegation threat once again. They have started poorly in the Apertura down in Mexico and are now in talks with Argentine Matias Almeida to replace Chepo. U.S. Attorney General Loretta Lynch promised additional charges in FIFA at a Zurich press conference yesterday. Quote, to anyone who seeks to live in the past and to return soccer to the days of corruption and bribery, cronyism and patronage, this global response sends a clear message. You're on the wrong side of progress and do a disservice to the integrity of this wonderful sport. See what the fallout from the FIFA investigation by Loretta Lynch and the FBI continues to be. It, uh, it's a net and it's catching some people and we'll see if it's going to catch Sepp Blatter when asked. Whether or not Sepp Blatter should avoid traveling to the United States because of a threat of arrest, she said, I can't help you with Mr. Blatter's travel plans. Yesterday in the Premier League, West Ham beating Newcastle United, excuse me, 2-0. Dimitri Payet with both goals for West Ham. The defeat sends Newcastle to the bottom of the Barclays Premier League table. Meanwhile, things going pretty well for, uh, for West Ham at the moment. They have uh, moved up now into fifth place on nine points, three wins from five matches. They have not yet drawn this year, two losses in that five as well. The Seattle Sounders have lost Panamanian defender Roman Torres for the rest of the season with a knee injury. He suffered that in the 1-1 draw against San Jose. He made just four starts for Seattle after signing on August 12th. So, you know, you bring in a a, a reinforcement in the summer, a guy who's going to help shore up your defense, and he goes down with an injury, just a bad break. For the Sounders in a year when they've had several of those bad breaks. Uh, and here's a piece of uh, news near and dear to my heart. The Where is Precky 
Hashtag where's Precky mystery is now over and solved and boring. Precky's in England hanging out with uh, Milan Mandarich, former owner of Portsmouth, Leicester City and Sheffield United. Uh, Precky is buddies with his fellow Serbian Mandarich, who uh, once owned an indoor team that the Precky played for in the United States in St. Louis. He's advising Mandarich on which uh, which Premier League, I'm sorry, which English club, not necessarily Premier League, but certainly which English club to uh, get involved in next with the promise that Precky will have an opportunity to be, be to be the manager of that club. It's a very interesting dynamic, but there you go. Brian Strauss and Grant Wall reporting over at PlanetFootball at SI.com that he is alive well and expects to return to coaching. Uh, this is all about his desire to move up to another level after it looked like another MLS shot was not coming in the near future and Sacramento was going to have to wait to get their chance to move up. All right, uh, just wanted to tip in here, not necessarily under our news heading as usual, but we do have Champions League in CONCACAF and MLS happening this evening. DC United um, taking on Arabi Unido in the Champions League. You've got uh, uh, RSL in the Champions League as well on the road facing Santa Tecla. You've got uh, in MLS action, New York City FC hosting Toronto FC. Actually, that's tomorrow night. Excuse me. So the two Champions League games are tonight. There you go. There's your news. Let's get ready to talk to Christian Hennage about everything happening in England and maybe a little MLS as well. It'll be good discussion. It always is. Soccer morning. WorldSoccerTalk.com. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. Facing the crowd. You're talking too loud. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. We're back on Soccer Morning, joined now on the telephone from across the Atlantic by a dashing British gentleman named Christian Hennage, who joins us. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jason. I'm well. It's, uh, it's well. It's, it's getting to be that uh, chilly time of year over here, which means we're getting down to the end of the MLS season, but also means Champions League uh, group stage is back. That's getting underway tonight. I think, though, we'll start with some of the events of the Premier League weekend when we talk about uh, the way things are shaking out in England so far. The lead headline story in bright lights that everybody's focused on is what's, what the heck is happening to Chelsea, Christian? I know. It, it, it is thoroughly bizarre, isn't it, that they've um, started so poorly. I think no team with their start has finished higher than third. Um, in Premier League history, so there's a chance for them to break records, I guess, um, if you're looking for a positive. <laughs> but I think it's the midfield is the issue, and I think that's something we come back to with a lot of teams. And, and at the minute, some of the problems that maybe they got away with last season, the fact that Cesc Fabregas, for example, isn't the best going backwards, um, that maybe there isn't the depth there for the Matic in case he's absent. Those problems are starting to come home to roost now, and I think if you look at the transfer window they just had, compare it to the season before, and it wasn't nearly as fluid. Um, I don't think it ticked nearly as many boxes. And, and that, as we're seeing, is, is 
often the difference maker now because we look at City by contrast who had an amazing window and, and achieved what they needed to achieve and they have a flawless stuff. It certainly doesn't seem to be uh, weighing on uh, Jose Mourinho lightly at this point. Uh, he's getting a little snippy. He's got the issue with cursing at Roberto Martinez after the loss at Everton. Um, is some of this related to, to Jose and, and his current state of mind maybe at Chelsea? I mean, he, he does have that restless nature about him. It, I'm not sure anybody expected it to be this to happen this quickly, his second go-round at Chelsea, especially off the back of a championship or a Premier League title. Uh, but he doesn't seem to be his normal composed self. Well, it's, it's interesting you say no one expected it. I think if you look at his career historically, you should expect it. Okay. Um, he's uh-huh. never stayed at the club longer than three years. And, you know, there's the old Bella Gutman quote, the famous Benfica coach, who said never stay longer than three years because it, it ends up essentially going to pop because the players stop listening and the ideas stop transferring over. I think the problem Mourinho has is that he talks about this legacy. He talks about being like Sir Alex Ferguson, you know, and, and repeating his success at Manchester United. I don't think he has the patience for that. Um, I think he's a very disposable manager in terms of he'll get rid of a player if he stops performing, if he stops doing what he expects him to do. And I don't necessarily think that's conducive to a long-term stint at the club. Um, he's clearly someone, I think, that wanted it to work at Chelsea. Um we have to remember as well, he wanted the Man United job. And I think that sometimes gets overlooked. But yes, he went back to Chelsea for a second stint. And, and undeniably, there is a, you know, a feeling of love there between the two. But he did also want the Man United job. So he was almost looking for a new challenge. He wasn't looking to go back. He was looking to keep going forward. And I think perhaps he's going to have to accept to a degree that if he operates the way he does, which in fairness has brought him a lot of success, he's not really going to need to buy a house in any of these cities that he manages. He's better off renting. Mm. And I'm not sure that the, that the modern state of football allows for legacy stays anyway. I mean, you know, even Jurgen Klopp eventually decided that was enough at Dortmund and, and decided to move on. So there's, there's only, there's not going to be an opportunity to stick around. Um, you have to be consistently good. And uh, the, the, the bar is so high for the big clubs now, if you're not winning, titles, uh, you're, you're going to be run out on a rail whether you're recognized as a great manager or not. So what's the, what's the answer? I mean, if they, they can't do anything until January in terms of solidifying the midfield by purchasing, what do they do? Well, you could argue you could add. Um, if you can't you know, beat teams with the quality in the middle, then you can try and beat them with the numbers and put a third man in there. Mm-hmm. Um, Kurt Zuma, I think, would be the standout option because it seems he can play there. Equally, I think there's a problem at fullback as well. I think Branislav Ivanovic, I mean, it's so, it's so amazing that in football that, you know, he can go from being at such a high last season to now this season, you know, we're talking about him being too old and needing to be phased out. But I think that's a problem as well, is that actually the lack of fluency in that team at times is, is concerning. And it can stem from the fullback because the fullback has gone from being traditionally someone who was the worst player that you stuck there, it's actually being quite central to starting attacks, um, to dictating things. And that's a concern for them, is that actually if you put any kind of pace against Branislav Ivanovic this season, he struggled. And it means that teams perhaps aren't as afraid to attack Chelsea, particularly down that right-hand side. Um, and it's something they could address. Here's a question, Christian, and maybe we don't know. Um, certainly we, we saw what Victor Moses did uh, for West Ham yesterday. Could any of these 30 players out on loan make a difference for Chelsea? 
I mean, wow, there's a, there's a number and a half. I mean, it's difficult to truly say yes. I think if you're looking for a midfielder, there is a young man at Monaco um, called Mario Pasalic, who personally, I, I think he's a very talented young player. He is, as I say, though, very young. And throwing him into that could be quite dangerous. Um, that's the problem, I think, when, when you look at that and say, oh, well, there's, surely there's a lone player you can find. A lot of these guys are very young. Nathan Acker, who's yeah. who's nearby at Watford, again, very young, very inexperienced. I think, if anything, you need a degree of experience to come in here. Um, you've got someone like Nathaniel Chalabar, who really has only played second-hit football. Um, and so, I, I think, no, there's not really anyone that jumps out in that loan list, yeah. me personally, that, sure. that I think that's who they should have kept, that's who should now be playing, because yeah. they're, they're still on a very... Uh, early stage of the developmental path. Yeah, and look, I mean, there's a reason they're on loan, but it just it, the the number, the sheer number, as you said, mm. is what stands out. All right, so uh, you know, let's let's talk about the the, the team that you just mentioned. Uh, did do good business in the summer and, and got uh, what they needed to to uh, to solidify their team and, and go back for uh, another shot at the title, and that's Manchester City now four points clear of Leicester at the top of the table and. You know, five from five from five of five uh, is is you can't do any better than that. Um, you know, is, is this is this going to be a stroll? I mean, when do you see the hiccups coming, if any? I, I don't think it'll be a stroll. I think um, the problems in the Premier League are quite unpredictable, and I think there will be moments they're tested. We saw it almost um, against Crystal Palace. I think Palace have, have been a team that recently, of course, City some problems. And in fairness to them, there was a degree of fortune in the way the goal came. It, was, it wasn't the most convincing of victories um, for Manchester City. Arguably, they could have scored much sooner. I think with, with Jesus Navas, they'll be disappointed. But I think there'll be moments where this squad are tested mentally. Um, they've got the Champions League to begin with now. That's something that often has caused them problems. Um, it's, it's a very weird and bizarre mental obstacle for Manchester City, the Champions League. I think it's something that you know a sports psychologist would have a field there with trying to analyse why these very talented players mm-hmm. with uh, immense pedigrees, brilliant CVs, can't seem to put it together in the Champions League consistently. Um, and that, for me, is the big test for them this season, is, is can they overcome that? Can the new players, the likes of Sterling and De Bruyne, can they come in and, and really elevate them to a level so that they're qualifying quite simply and quite easily? And alongside that, can they then go and play a game midweek as they'll do against Juventus this week and then go and get things done at the weekend as well because that's something I think we see sometimes with Manchester City is that it's a little bit of a mental drain but it's also the physical drain as well of the travelling of the, the exertion that takes it out of them and I think if they're going to slip up it'll, it'll be those difficult weeks with the Champions League mixed in there. What, what is it, uh, how, is, how has De Bruyne uh, settled in so far in your, uh, in your mind? I think he settled in very well. Um, having watched kind of his interviews with the, the club channel and everything, the in-depth stuff, he seems very understated, very calm. Um, I think the, the test for him, and you know, it goes back to what I just said about the team in general, it's the mentality. It's the stories of Jose Mourinho saying he would come in his office every day and cry that he wasn't playing. Um, I think with De Bruyne, if you look at him when he started out in Belgium, the team was very central, be built around him. I think he expected that at Chelsea to a degree. I think he expected to be considered one of the bigger fish, if you will. And that didn't happen. He went away to, to Bremen, to Wolfsburg, and they did do it, and they saw success. And I think, again, he's going back to a situation more like Chelsea than, 
and Wolfsburg um, in Manchester City, and it's how he handled that. I think sometimes you have to accept that to be an elite player, you have to surround yourself with elite players and not expect any kind of special treatment. And I think he can do it, personally. I'm, I'm an optimist, and I like to believe that he has the, the mental capacity to do it. And I think the time away from Chelsea has actually done him some good, because I think it's, it's built a confidence in them that probably wasn't in um, the younger Kevin De Bruyne when he was at Chelsea. Uh, obviously, the, the the big match from a, a rivalry standpoint this weekend was Manchester United Liverpool three one win win for United and um, Liverpool taking it on the chin. Brendan Rodgers taking a lot of the flack here. I mean, we consistently talk about Brendan Rodgers and his prospects and how he's doing at Liverpool, and it's turned again on him. Where uh, there's some serious doubt whether he's the man going forward. Yeah, and I, you know it's, it's very difficult. I think. He lost players consistently that were very important to him. Um, Luis Suarez, Raheem Sterling to, to rivals, Steven Gerrard to just the sands of time. I think it's it's not something that any other coach aspiring to win the Premier League has had to, to deal with. Um, and it means that he's constantly playing catch-up in the transfer market and he's trying to find players and, and look at players like Firmino and say, OK, I believe this player can perform but there's a bedding-in period needed for, for players like that. Yes, Benteke will arrive knowing the Premier League. Ings will arrive. Milner will arrive. But a £29 million Brazilian midfielder who's coming from the Bundesliga will need time to adapt. And he he isn't really given that um, at Liverpool because they need instant results. Um, and I think the problem he now has is that in taking them so close to a Premier League title, Liverpool fans have really got a taste for it. Um, the idea of just talking about the memories of yesteryear, that's not really interesting now. It's talking about how close they were with Suarez. And equally, they brought Suarez on a lot. That took time. Um, when he arrived from Ajax, he was a very different player to the one that left uh, for Barcelona. And again, it's that patience that, that you and I talk about quite often with clubs needing. And I think it's something that we're seeing less and less as, as teams and fans want instant gratification with, with the signings they make and the teams they put together. But the truth is, for Liverpool, that title challenge took time and it took years to build and, and fluency and, and momentum. And that's something that they're not going to build if they keep shipping in and out plays every summer. Well, I mean, certainly that that's a... Um a phenomenon at, at United as well. We want these players to come in and immediately be major contributors. They've made some signings this summer, and right now sitting um, in third place. This does this win say anything? And, and obviously, they have a Champions League match tonight against uh, PSV. Some talk about that being a test for for uh, obviously. There's the connection there with uh, Louis Van Gaal to, to the Dutch team. Is there? Is it is this the is this going great guns for Manchester United right now? Or there's still a lot of work to do. I think the inclusion of Martial gives them something very different. Um, we saw the difference in having pace and a bit of movement in attack did for them um, at the figurehead point of the attack. I should say that was the difference. That's what really undid Liverpool. I, I personally, I couldn't see Wayne Rooney producing the kind of goal that Martial did. Um, and I think in amongst all the kind of discourse about him being the new Henri and this excitement, you have to boil it down to the fact that that speed gives them another dimension. Um, and in the case of PSV, I mean, they've had significant changes this summer. They've not just lost the pile, they've also not lost Wijnaldum uh, to Newcastle. And so you're looking at a very different team to the one last year that was quite rampant in the tax, scored a lot of goals. But they have different... Um, troubles this season in terms of Max and Lestien, who I think is, is incredibly talented, did 
fairly well at general last season. And I think it's a, it's a different kind of test for Louis van Gaal in that sense. Yes, it's a return to the Netherlands, you know, where he's known and, and quite famous, and, and obviously from them as well. But I think it, it's more like Club Bruges than anything. I think it's almost a few steps up on, on that ladder. Um, it shouldn't be something that really tests them. They should win this quite comfortably. And I think I'd be disappointed if I'm a Man United fan and they don't. No, certainly. Um, Wayne Rooney ruled out. Uh, that's... Um... You know, an, an issue in terms of the the leadership and the fixture that Wayne Rooney is in that lineup, but they they definitely have the talent to cover in this particular match. Without question, and I think in some ways, the Wayne Rooney injury is a bit of a blessing mm. um, because it means they can play Martial now, and, and there's no awkwardness about dropping Rooney and the stigma that comes with that because he's not fit to play. Um, the difficulty they face in the months coming is that if Martial keeps this form up. Um, not suggesting a goal every game, but if he keeps being a danger, if he keeps being that persistent test and causing trouble for defences, I struggle to see where you fit Wayne Rooney in. Um, there's talk consistently from teammates from players who played against him that he wants to play deeper, that he wants to play off a striker. That's fine, but then who do you drop to facilitate that? Um, it's a very difficult balance, and, and it seems like, at least to me, the formation they ended the game with on, on Saturday, that's their best formation. Um, and to change that dynamic, to change that setup when it seems to be actually breeding something and, and fostering something fairly decent, obviously time will tell, it would just be trying to put a, a square peg in, in a round hole. And, and that's the last thing you want to do. But the problem is when you're paying someone £300,000 a week, you almost feel obligated to do that because of the financial outlet. Let me turn back to the to the league table for a second, uh, Christian. We, we've got all three of the promoted teams currently above the relegation zone. Bournemouth just barely, but they are. Um, meanwhile, you have uh, Watford in 13th place and Leicester up in second. Now, they're not going to stay there. We know they're not going to stay there. But do they, have they done enough? Have the Foxes done enough to build towards staying up? Uh, how much more do you think they need to do? And can they keep up this momentum? I mean, three wins from their first five is is a fantastic return. Yes, definitely. I, I don't think the momentum stays. I think um, in Riyad Mahrez, you have a sensational player who amazingly costs half a million pounds um, and now looks arguably 20 times worth that. The difficulty for them will be when teams start to target Mahrez. Um, because I think if you watch the game against Aston Villa, he's influential in all three goals. Um, two of them he actually assists. And I think teams are going to start to try and stop that. Now, look, I'm sure there's very confident Leicester fans who will tell you that actually, try and stop him. I don't think he can because he made three Aston Villa defenders look very silly um, at the weekend with a, a shot break. So, yes, there's that as well. But I think when he's nullified, it'll be up to the other players around him to try and create something. And that will be my concern is, is how much can those guys actually create? Um, because I haven't seen a great deal from them so far this season, if I'm really honest. With, the, with those three promoted sides being um, above the relegation zone, we know Chelsea is, is right there. That's the stunning thing we've talked about, that Stoke, Sunderland, Newcastle. Newcastle dropping to bottom with the loss against West Ham yesterday. Uh, never looked in it, never looked up for it, never looked like they uh, really had a shot in that match, and or from what I saw anyway, Christian, you can tell me if I'm wrong here. Uh, and Newcastle constantly fascinates me because of the the massive support they get at St. James's Park, and then the abject failure they put out on the field more often than not. Uh, they managed to stay up, but that's about it. What, what's the what, what's the what's your um, 
you know, what's your prediction for, for Newcastle over the course of the season? Is Are we going to see McLaren fired? What, what's, what's the next step for them? I think you're going to see a very bumpy period. Um, it's going to be a, a strong mixture of moments where it truly clicks and moments where it looks like they've just met in the car park um, on the way to the ground. And I think last night was one of those moments in the car park. Um, I, I admire McLaren at least for, for saying, you know, the fact that the bus arrived late and they were caught in traffic was no excuse because I think it wasn't. Uh, they did look very slow and off the pace. But the difficulty, I think, for them is they've had a very tough start. Um, they've had to go to Manchester United, they've had to face Arsenal, Southampton, uh, Swansea away, which is it's never an easy tie. And within that, you've got a lot of new players in a lot of important positions. Um, I think if you're looking for one aspect to maybe critique um, Steve McLaren, it's the central midfield. It's far too similar in, in approach. Jack Colback and Vernon need to just do the same job. And I think you need a little bit more variety in there. You've got Musa Soko who really bizarrely is used on the right wing and I don't think he's ever been suited to that position to lose you know he's a box to box midfielder he's someone that uses his, his speed and his athleticism to really quite devastating impact at least that's what he did when he first arrived at Newcastle so the fact that he's not being used in the same position now is, is incredibly bizarre because I think last night you saw that Wijnaldum was often isolated in the final third, trying to create something for one man in Papi Cissé against the back four, that's incredibly difficult to do. Um, and I think, realistically, they need to have a little bit of a switch around in that sense. The, the benefit that they've got um, is they face Watford at home. Now, of the, the games they've had this season, that's the first really winnable one in terms of you expect them to win that because they are a promoted side, because Watford have had difficulty scoring goals. If they struggle to win that one at the weekend, I think you can start to maybe, you know, light the, the panic flares, if you will. But I think you need some kind of perspective in, in terms of, it's been a lot of change for Newcastle this season. They've brought a lot of new players in um, and some of them are still bedding in and still learning, just like Firmino. It's it's a, a, a process of patience. Um, and I think realistically, they'll never be in, in that much trouble of being relegated, but they'll be nowhere near European qualification. I can guarantee you that. All right. Speaking of Europe, let's go back to the Champions League because we've already talked. To you, uh, we've already talked about PSV, Manchester United's visit to the to the Netherlands. Now you also have Manchester City hosting Juventus. Obviously, Juventus finalists last year, but a very different team. Only one point through three matches in Serie A, so they arrive uh, at the Etihad. What do you expect out of this match, City? Again, you talk about that hump and getting over that Champions League hump. That's got to start against Juventus. It does. I mean, you know, look at Juventus. They've only picked up one point in the opening three games of Serie A. The last time they did that was 1962. Um, and I think for, for that reason alone, City have got to expect to win this. Um, you can, you know, try and talk about the fact that Juventus are runners-up from last season. But as you said yourself, it's a very different team. There is no Tevez. There is no Pirlo. The team has changed significantly. Um especially compared to cities, which I think is, has only made minimal changes and not in the spine of the team either, which is important. Um, and I think for, for that reason alone, City has to expect to win this comfortably because they're facing a team that are, are in transition but also out of form. And for that reason, there is no excuse not to pick up three points. Hmm. Uh, other matches today, uh, none of them involving English sides, but you know, obviously you're a fan of all kinds of football. Christian, which, which match stands out for you? <laughs> 
Um, I mean, the old romantic in me likes the Paris Saint-Germain Malmo game. Um, I think it would be nicer for the reverse fixture because I think that'll be quite a spectacle um, to see him kind of go back to where it all began. And, and you know, there are a million or more amazing documentaries on Zlatan and his time at Malmo. Um, and to see that progression is, is quite brilliant. I also like uh, Benfica against FC Astana. I think it's always nice to see new teams in this competition. Um and for that reason, you know, that's what I would likely be keeping an eye on as well. Yeah, FC Astana is the uh, Kazakh, uh, Kazaki. Is it Kazaki or Kazakhstani? I can't remember which is the proper uh, demonym. Um, so we also have um, Real Madrid and Shakhtar. We, Real Madrid off of that uh, blistering performance against, Espan- against Espanyol. And, and Cristiano Ronaldo with five goals. Um, were we were we on the verge of maybe downgrading Ronaldo a bit, Christian? And and he does something like score five in a match, and now it's again a reminder of just how brilliant he is. And if it wasn't for Messi, he'd be uh, clear in a way the most uh, dominant player in the world. Well, I think I think Raul took sixteen years to reach the record that Ronaldo's broken in six. Um, <laughs> you you can't say a, a great deal on top of that. Um, to really hammer home the point that he is. He's a generation-defining player. Um, you can talk about the hegemony of the league. You can talk about the quality below those top two. He's scored at all levels. Um, he's scored in the Champions League. He's scored for Manchester United in big moments in the Champions League final, for, for goodness sake. He's an amazing player. And the constant doubt just surprises me personally because I think he does it so often. Um, and every kind of thing that's thrown at him, that he doesn't do it in uh, the games against Barcelona, he then goes and does it. And it's where he goes next um, is the curiosity for me because, again, he can keep scoring goals in this league for a few years. There's talk of Major League Soccer, funnily enough. Wherever he goes, it's going to be an interesting watch um, because he does seem like someone that's just not slowing down. Age is, again, it's a number to this guy. And I'm, I'm curious to see how he adapts as he gets really past that post-30 landmark because that's something that you often see influence players. I I don't know how... I don't know that he'll be, you know, a great player through his 30s, but he's definitely one of those guys. He is such a specimen, such an athlete, so in complete tip-top shape that, you know, barring something knee-related, barring... um, I, I don't even know. I mean, he could even lose a step. He's already got that funny way of running, and it's not really going to change a whole lot for him. He still has those killer instincts in front. Of him. I, 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 I'm interested as well, Christian. What happens? What happens next? I mean, there's really not another level up. So if that's the case, do you stick it out for a couple of years uh, at Real Madrid? Do you imagine a some sort of just a scenery change? Oh, I'd like to. I'd like to see, I don't know, where, where could he possibly go? I mean, there are only two or three clubs in the world that he can even conceive of signing Cristiano Ronaldo. At this present moment, undoubtedly, there are only two or three that could conceivably sign. I completely agree with that. Um, PSG seems to be one, and seems to be one that, if you believe reports, are, are trying to do it um, themselves. For me, personally, I, I do think it's MLS. Um, I think him and Zlatan... I think they like the idea of living in the States. I think they like the idea of MLS and what it represents to them. Um, and, you know, I think it's LAFC that are really pushing to try and get Ronaldo for for when they kick off in 2018. It, it, to me, it just seems too obvious to be ignored. 
Um, okay. I can't see him going to the Middle East. I don't think that appeals to him. I think for him, it's, it is about lifestyle as much as anything else. He's big in China. I think He's big in China, Christian. He is. No, and I, I, I recognize that, that he does a lot of kind of TV work over in Asia. Um, he advertises some truly bizarre products, by the way, if you've ever watched them. <laughs> yeah, um, and he looks... <laughs> Thoroughly, uh, you know, kind of nervous and unsure of what's going on. Um, he does not look comfortable in those surroundings at all. Um, but I, I do. I just, I, I feel like, I feel like MLS is where he's going to go. It, it's, it's just something inside that says, yeah, I can yeah. just see it now. I can see the shirt presentation, everything. It, the, the people that are linked with. LAFC. Yeah. I think he wants yeah. to be like them. He wants to be like Magic Johnson. Yeah. He wants to almost transcend sport. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, there's and be like a, a Beckham even at Miami. I think he sure. wants to do that. And I think if you look at it, America is the place where you want to do that. Because the, the, it's where a lot of people converge. Those are the only two places that I can imagine it happening. I think you might be right, but it has to be LA. Probably LAFC. I don't know that the Galaxy are going to want to get into the, into the business of Cristiano Ronaldo not with the thing they have going. Or Miami, if Beckham gets that finally launched. Those are the only two places I can imagine it happening. And you know what? That's because, and that's why they have, MLS has an advantage because of cities like those that are certainly more glamorous and more internationally recognized than, say, playing in Shanghai. Even though Shanghai is a great city, it doesn't have the same sort of Western cachet. And I think that's something Cristiano Ronaldo obviously values. Um, he is 30 years old, if I'm not mistaken. So, uh, you know, a couple of years is, is probably a little earlier than maybe we even would have imagined for a player like him. Uh, meanwhile, Zlatan, if that's going to happen, he's he turns 34 in a couple of weeks, I think. So there's uh, th- that time is ticking rapidly away, and he's still very good in, in, uh, in France and for PSG in Europe. So lots to be determined. Christian Hennage, follow him on Twitter, K-H-E-N-E-A. GE writes and does TV and does all kinds of crazy stuff and does it excellently as always. Christian, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Absolute pleasure, mate. Hopefully, speak to you soon. There you go. Let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk to you on a Tuesday. Again, Champions League, CONCACAF, uh, UEFA. We've got uh, MLS. We've got uh, Premier League. We've got all kinds of stuff. LAFC in the news as well. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. We are back on Soccer Morning. The phone lines are open right now, 646-832-3909. Whatever is on your mind today, it's happening right here. Call me up and let's have a chat. Let's talk about stuff. You want to talk about the Champions League matches that are on tap today? There's certainly some good ones. We outlined a bunch of them with Christian Hennage just now. If you want to talk about the way the MLS playoff race is shaping up, perhaps you want to talk about the CONCACAF Champions League. What kind of a distraction is this for D.C. United? It's not a team that's been playing near their best in recent times, and now they've got a Robbie Unido in the Champions League. And Look, there's pride here. They want to, they want to advance in the group stage. It's not going to be simple. I mean, there's, it may not be, they may not have the toughest 
group out of the bunch. In fact, let me pull up uh, let me pull up the Concacaf Champions League group stage matches uh, matchups just so I can go ahead and give you uh, a brief analysis of what faces DC United. They've got a Real Unido and Montego Bay United. So and look, they played twice already. They've got six points. Maybe they feel as though that cushion gives them an opportunity to to kind of settle in here. And and but they've got and it's a Robbie Unido at home. I, I imagine we're going to see certainly a B side from DC United again. It is crunch time in the MLS season. While DC is almost guaranteed to get into the playoffs, seeding matters and certainly form for the playoff matters and health for the playoff matters, fitness for the playoff matters. They can't just throw everything they've got at this tournament. They risk running out of gas before they even get to the playoffs. So there's that. Maybe you want to talk about LAFC. Yes, LAFC, the brand new thing that's happening in Los Angeles, set to begin play in 2018. Or that's what I guess that's what they're targeting. Is anybody clear yet? Are we have we been positive? We've positively identified. What season they're going to start in? I don't think we know for sure. But it looks like 2018. So they got three years to get this thing ready. Kevin Baxter of the LA Times has a pretty fascinating look behind the scenes at LAFC as they attempt to build their brand and create a groundswell of interest in the millennial well, I don't know what I'm talking about anymore, and I don't think neither do I don't think LAFC does either. Now I had a nice little back and forth with my friend Jared Dubois on the best soccer show last night, and him his being a SoCal guy, being an LA guy, Jared was very defensive about what LAFC is doing, about the way LAFC is going about marketing their team, creating the image of their team. I just don't think it feels like a soccer club. I just don't think it feels like a sports team. I don't think it feels like they are actually connecting with people who are going to have a reason. Now, you don't have a product yet. You don't have, a, you don't have any players to identify. You don't even have a shirt. You've only just settled on your name. By the way, there's supposed to be some sort of announcement today. That's correct? Have we, have we, I don't have, I'm, not on the, I'm not on the... I don't know if I'm cool enough to be on the press list for LAFC, if they're even issuing press releases yet. Or a press release is too old school. we got to think like millennials. Do, can I get an Instagram post with the press, with the information from the press? Like a picture of a, maybe it's all in symbols or something? I don't, I don't know what, how does this work? I'm being silly here. But some of these quotes are just, they're tough to swallow on that front. Our opportunity in L.A. is how is how do we tell the story differently? We're going to be into music, big into music, art, and fashion, the design aesthetic. We're going to be a great outlet for creativity. It's one of our club pillars. This is uh, Rich Orozco. Rich Orozco uh, seems to be their marketing guy, the guy who is behind everything here. Orozco is married to Julie Benz, an actress from Defiance and Dexter, and spent most of his life in television, helping develop the Entertainment Tonight spinoff The Insider for Paramount before moving to Warner Brothers, where, as vice president of marketing, he helped launch TMZ on TV 
and two and a half men, among other projects. Does that sound, I mean, look, I, I, I mean, he might be a great guy and he might even be really good at his job launching TMZ on television and two and a half men. But does that make him the right guy for the soccer team? For the football club? Does that mean that he's got the right set of skills to grab the attention of the soccer fans, the unaffiliated soccer fans, or the undecided soccer fans, or the casual soccer fans who may have been to some Galaxy games or may know the Galaxy, but don't necessarily call themselves hardcore? Can he do that? Chivas USA was created. The notion of capturing a lot of the Hispanic market of Los Angeles. Now, it was miscalculation because clearly the Chivas brand alienated everybody who didn't like Chivas, and that's a lot of people. It didn't connect with Mexican soccer fans or Mexican-American soccer fans who identified differently. And certainly it was poorly presented and poorly marketed by the Vergaras. So is LAFC going to be able to correct those mistakes? Clearly, uh, going straight after and, and honing in and being all about the Hispanic market probably isn't the way to go. Be a team for the city and see what happens. Or be a team for the city and and use that as a way to connect with the city and create an identity that fits with the, with the city. And then you can grab people's attention and sell tickets and get fans. I don't know. I mean, maybe that's too old school. Because this is all about the millennials. No one in the office wears a tie to work. When they speak, the conversation can be heavy and jargon, undecipherable to most people over the age of 40. I'm not. I'm, maybe it'd be undecipherable to me. But it's a language readily understood by LAFC's target audience. Millennials, a term used to describe the generation that was born between the early 80s and the early 2000s. Yeah, that's not me. The coveted demographic is more likely to get its information from a mobile device than a traditional source and to consume entertainment, including sports, online and on demand. Okay. What does that mean exactly? I, I don't, Maybe I don't need to know. I, I really don't. It's their team. They can run it how they choose to. But again, are they connecting with anybody in Los Angeles? Are people, being, are people gravitating towards LAFC because it's being marketed towards millennials? Or are they gravitating towards LAFC because it's something different than the Galaxy? Maybe they don't like the Galaxy. Or maybe they have... Maybe they like the colors better, which apparently are going to be red and black because that's original. I, it's just uh, it's just an interesting way to present, to set themselves up. Because it's a lot of rhetoric and a lot of words that don't mean a whole lot right now. And they, maybe they don't need to three years out. I don't know. Six four six eight three two thirty nine oh nine. You guys don't you don't like Tuesdays? What's happening? What's wrong with Tuesdays? I don't understand what's happening here. You guys need to call me up. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about Champions League. Let's talk about Oh, I don't know, whatever else is on your mind. I'm trying to go a couple of days in a row without mentioning some of the other things happening in American soccer that frustrate me because I send I tend to harp too much, I think. I certainly do. Catching up on the LA Galaxy San Jose Turf Wars, whatever that means, or something to do with um something to do with the 
areas that these uh, that these academies can cover. Let me go to Twitter here. Robert in L.A., do you think any European teams will put in the rookies for the UCL today like MLS teams do in the Champions League? Nope. Don't think so. Uh, well, it's, uh, yeah, I don't think so. Uh, Garber thinks MLS can compete with Europe when MLS teams can't compete with Costa Rica, Panama, or Mexico in the Champions League. Well, that's not necessarily true, Robert. We've got MLS teams getting to the final, and that wasn't that didn't happen for Costa Rica this year. It didn't happen for Panama. They do compete with those teams. It's the Mexican teams they can't beat. But Costa Rica and Panama, I think you, uh, MLS does, does fairly well. Uh, yeah. All right. 646-832-3909 is your phone number. If you're at work, just slip on out the side door and find yourself a quiet spot and give me a call. Call me up and talk about soccer because that's what we do here, at least for the next couple of minutes on a Tuesday. Uh, we do have a good show lined up over at Sirius XMFC if you guys are partaking uh, of that. And if you're a, a, a subscriber to Sirius XM, Make sure you're checking out the show from 11 to 1. I think today we have a couple of good guests. Who are our guests today, Trevor? I don't see them listed yet. I know we're working on, I believe Kevin Baxter is going to join us over there. Uh, we may have somebody else from the West Coast as well. Matt Pence from Seattle. Yes, we'll talk about Roman Torres and the state of the uh, Seattle Sounders at this point in time. Fresh off a 1-1 draw with San Jose. Pulled out of the fire by Obafemi Martins, but they lose. Roman Torres, big blow for them. And as I said, Kevin Baxter, the author of this piece on LAFC and their marketing approach, uh, he'll join us over at SiriusXM FC as well. Walk me through what the Sounders do in the Champions League now, given injuries being in a dogfight for the final playoff spot, says Ruben. Uh, I think you hold on for dear life, Ruben. I mean, beyond that, I don't know what else to tell you because it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough on It's going to be tough on everybody, all, all the American teams and MLS teams in the Champions League. The Galaxy right now, two for two. Comunicaciones and Central not, uh, Central not the most difficult outs, so they've got some help. Seattle has to deal with the fact that they got Vancouver, and Olympia is not a bad team at all from Honduras. Um, their next, uh, Seattle's next match is uh, next week against Vancouver. So, but the the saving grace there, I guess, is that Vancouver also has to deal with trying not to uh, run themselves ragged ahead of the playoffs. But Vancouver in a much stabler, much more stable, excuse me, playoff position than Seattle right now. You look at the standings: Vancouver top of the table, obviously. The Sounders six points back in fourth place, only one point ahead of two teams for that last spot in the. Um, in the Western Conference. Let's go to Ray in Milwaukee. What's going on, Ray? Hey, man. I uh, just want to talk a little bit about the Chepolitoria firing. Yeah. Um, probably not surprising because it's Chivas and, and Vergara, right? Right. Well, that's the thing for me is Vergara needs to look a good look in the mirror and say that, you know, these coaches aren't the problem. and He's the problem. Well, clearly. Uh, but he owns the team, right? I mean, you know, these guys tend to have egos. They tend to be a little delusional. They tend to have people around them who say whatever they want to hear. And next thing you know, it's 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 a disaster. I mean, you know, good owners get out of the way. Right. And, you know, uh, on uh, online, there's a lot of people that are saying that uh, 
uh, it's the Mexican only policy that has to go and is preventing them from going, uh, from uh, being competitive. And I, I, I would disagree with that. Uh, I, I, I don't believe that's the reason why. Uh, I believe that the approach that he has taken on player spending is why he should take an approach like George Steinbrenner did with the Yankees, uh, and they have the money to do it. So, you know, George Steinbrenner went out here and said that, well, I'm going to pay uh, a bench player more because he's a Yankee. You pay, he pays a premium because you're a Yankee. And that's the type of approach that he, they should have. If you look at this team that they had last year that made it to the semifinals of, uh, of the playoffs, uh, it, you know, you lost players like Arce, Denigres, and Cubo Torres, and, and, and you don't bring anybody in. No. And then you also look at, uh, you wonder just really how hands-on he really is. Because and, uh, Sven Erickson said in uh, in his book that Chepelinatore came up and approached him and talked about what coach he should hire for the goalie coach. And you're like, if he's that brash with the Mexican national team coach, you can only imagine how he runs his club. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that there are, you know, when when you're successful in business, it can lead you to believe that you know everything about everything, even when you don't, even when it's clear that you're... And look, I mean, sports just creates that dynamic, right? Again, I'll, you know, Vagar is up there, by the way, for worst owner in sports, period. And that's like Dan Snyder... Um, yeah. who, who else is on that list? I mean, there's a couple of people on the, the guy, the, the guy with the Browns. Is he good? I can't remember. The Browns are always terrible. I just assume it's a bad owner. There's, there's a couple of bad owners, um, bouncing around North American sports, but it's Vergara, maybe number one. And then <laughs> Dan Snyder's up there as well. Uh, I, you know, I don't know that. I, I guess, I guess what we'll see is, is whether or not they can stop the merry-go-round. And and, st- and and actually settle on somebody for some time, give them an opportunity to build uh, some sort of base. I mean, you know, it's almost as though, and, and, you know, they've been there before, but it's almost as though they need to have some big foreign name come in that can command respect that goes beyond, because it, it just seems like Vergara thinks of Mexican coaches as disposable. Right, I would agree with that. Yeah. And, uh, and, um, uh, I would just like to say that I don't think Triple A is a terrible coach. Uh, I know that he gets a terrible reputation, reputation because of his, uh, uh, his stint with the Mexican national team, but he has won uh, two league titles, if I'm not mistaken, in, in, in the Mexican game. So I don't think he's a terrible coach. Um, and then real quick uh, side note, you know, that I know that a lot of people are calling for Jurgen Crimson's head and and certain people are even talking about trying to bring back Bob Riley, but uh, this was a Bob. I I really like Bob Riley as a coach, but I just like to say that when we talk about his ups, you can talk about his downs as well. And he was out coached by Chapelle Torre with Hector Reynoso playing in that back line. Hmm. Okay, fair enough. Appreciate the call, Ray. Yep. Thanks. That goes Ray. You know, and, and coaches get better, and coaches learn. I mean, we these things. People are not static, and, and and players get better too. I mean, this is just something I think worth remembering. I'm not saying that Bob Bradley is uh, the answer for the national team, and I'm not calling for him to come back. 
But if that's something people want, I mean, there there may be a rationale that Bob Bradley has improved and progressed as a coach since he left the U.S. men's national team. I think that Egyptian experience changed him, uh, gave him a different perspective. I think he's uh, I think he's an effective leader. I think he gets guys to play for him and he gets guys to play hard for him. And sometimes you wonder if Klinsman gets the same thing out of his players. And maybe that's a reason to be attracted to the notion of Bob Bradley coming back to the U.S. national team. But this is not a program that has ever returned to a coach. So I don't know that that's uh, something U.S. soccer would ever consider. And again, Klinsman keeps his job no matter what happens unless it's we're on the verge of being eliminated from World Cup qualifying. That's the only chance at all. If if you are imagining some sort of scenario where Jurgen Klinsman loses his job, that's the only way it happens. Or... Like my friend Jerry Dubois said on the best soccer show last night, if a bunch of players get together and come out as a united front and say we won't play for Klinsman, which is never going to happen. Never, ever, 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 ever. 646-832-3909. On a Tuesday morning, having a good time talking uh, about soccer. All right. Let me just review the the, the uh, headlines and stories from the day. Uh, you know, we've covered all of the Champions League matches or, or the most interesting ones for the most part. The ones I haven't, we haven't really touched on. Wolfsburg and CSKA Moscow. Benfica, well, that's what we did touch a little bit on Astana. Uh, just the, the Kazakhstani team who's in this tournament. Kazakhstan is obviously a Central Asian country that's in UEFA for what reasons exactly? Do we have a reason for that? Anyway, Galatasaray Atletico Madrid. Uh, Sevilla mentioned Martin Gladbach, as I mentioned, um, the FIFA story, the FIFA fallout from the investigation continues. We'll see what developments we get from that. And I'm really disappointed about the end of where's Pracky. Like, can we get another mystery so we can start another hashtag and have something interesting happening in the world of American soccer? Where is Pracky turned out to be a dud? Now, if he ends up with a big job somewhere, that's great. I hope that's the case. And I hope he wasn't conned into quitting Sacramento without a job on the promise of something that wasn't coming, I, I guess. All right. That's going to do it for us on a Tuesday. Make sure you check out Backheel.com. We've got some cool stuff over there. We've got a bunch of stuff happening at YouTube as well. Uh, Soccer Mornings uh, YouTube page. Uh, make sure you check out the Best Soccer Show, which we did last night. Um, iTunes ratings and reviews help out a lot. And I think that's it, right? Are we done? I think we're done for today. Thank you very much to Christian Hennage for coming on and talking uh, Premier League and Champions League. It's good stuff from him. Maybe tomorrow we'll cover this insane stuff that's happening with Stephen Gerrard's autobiography. Alhaji Jouf out in the press. It's crazy. Talk to you then. Bye. Did my invitations disappear? What I put my heart on every cursive